Good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. Since it's been a little while, I haven't forgotten how this is supposed to work. You're supposed to get out sometime this afternoon, right? <laughs> Don't feel too bad, JR. I just came up with mine last night, so not really. That's not the case, but it is a great privilege to be able to speak with you once again, and we're grateful for the McNeils and the work that they do being here in the congregation in Oak Grove. And it, I know it is exciting for them to be with uh, Elijah right now, uh, graduating from Naval Boot Camp. But nonetheless, let's get started with our lesson this morning. The topic, as you see above me, is keep the devil out. We're going to be looking at three ways that uh, three areas that we need to keep the devil out of, but the devil has a long and terrible reputation of actively attacking those who are committing their lives, who have dedicated their souls to the service of the Almighty God. So much so that we have warnings that are given to us in Scripture First of all, consider for a moment 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse 8, where Peter says that the devil is like a roaring lion walking about this earth seeking whom he may devour. The devil has a plan for mankind. And we often talk about the plan that God has for mankind, a plan of obedience, a plan of, of uh, <laughs> dedication, of service. To God in thanksgiving for the sacrifice that God has made for each and every one of us. But the devil also has a plan for mankind. And that is to seek us out, those of us who claim to be the children of God, and devour us. Destroy us. Remove us from being those in service to God. You don't believe that's the case? Go back to Job chapter 1, the opening chapter there in the book of Job. And you're going to find... Satan coming up to God and God telling Satan to consider his servant Job. Now this is a meeting that is taking place up in, in heaven and, and Satan's like, well, what about your servant Job? And God's like, I'm paraphrasing here, look at his righteousness. There's none like him in all of the earth. And Satan's like, well, of course there's not. You're protecting him. There's nothing that I can do to Job because you have got this hedge of protection around Job and nothing is going to harm him in any way. God will allow Satan to test Job just so that God can prove that Job is the faithful being that he says he is. And we know what happens to Job. But given an opportunity, Satan was right there to take advantage of that opportunity. And he took away Job's family members, all except for his wife. And you could argue he took her too in the state of being that she was in. All of his herds, all of his cattle, all of his sheep, all the possessions that he had were gone, stolen, destroyed by those that were around him. 
And yet Job never gave up his faith in God. But Satan tried. Satan wanted to prove God wrong. We go to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, we have a, <coughs> excuse me, a record concerning after the baptism of Jesus, Jesus going off into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the tempter. <coughs> Beginning in verse 1. Then said Jesus, led up, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city, and setteth him in the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came, and ministered to him. We see that, that Jesus is attacked by Satan. He's tried three different ways to get Satan. Uh, Satan has tried three different ways to get Jesus to worship him. To take his eyes off of God. To turn his focus inward toward himself. To please the needs of his own flesh. And each time... Jesus sees right through the temptations that Satan places before him. And each time he says, it is written, and does exactly what he's supposed to do. But Jesus didn't allow Satan in so that he could have an effect on him. Just as Job did not allow Satan in to have an effect on him. Just as we are warned that we should not allow Satan in to have an effect over our lives. So as we said before, three areas of our lives that we need to keep the devil out of. First of all, we need to keep the devil out of our marriages. We need to keep the devil out of our families in the second place. And thirdly, we need to keep the devil out of our congregations. We'll look at those uh, this morning. First of all, when it comes to keeping the devil out of our marriages, what are some of the proofs that the devil is even involved in our marriages? Are there any of those proofs out there that we could talk about? Well, sure there are. We could look, if we really wanted to, concerning the divorce rate among our society today, which historically has been right around 50%. That's regardless of whether 
these marriages happen between individuals that are in the church and those that are outside of the church. You would think that, that marriages that take place among, between a man and a woman who are both members of the body of Christ would have a higher success rate than marriages that take place among those that are out in the world. But statistically speaking, they don't. But maybe, maybe the uh, striking number that we often don't talk about is the number of individuals now refusing to, to marry. Believing, and you, would, you may not understand that this is the case, but there are those individuals that believe that marriage is not, uh, not worth getting involved with. That it's not necessary anymore. You see, these are individuals that are out for pleasing themselves and they are refusing to marry. Instead, they, they live with their desired mate until that mate is no longer a desire for them and they go find another one. There is a devaluing of the sanctity of marriage among our society today. Notice Matthew chapter 19 if you will, we'll read a few verses here, beginning in verse 4, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus has a few things to say concerning those, the Pharisees, that were questioning him in verse 3. Notice what he says in verse 4. Have you not read that he which made at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh." What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And they say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and put her away? And he answered, uh, he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, Except for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Marriage is the union of a man and a woman in the presence of God, and that union that is created there at that marriage is supposed to go on until the natural end of either the man or the woman. That's how God designed it. That's not how society sees it. Notice Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Some have uh, accused Paul of being critical the Apostle Paul of being critical toward marriage when they go and have a cursory look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and some other passages there. God, through inspiration, says marriage is honorable. Paul would agree. Marriage is honorable in all. But if you walk down the road in, in 
downtown Oak Grove and, and ask 10 people what their definition of marriage was, I bet you don't get the same definition among all 10 people. Not anymore. Because our society today does not believe that marriage is honorable. Otherwise, they wouldn't treat it the way that they do. How do I know that? Because I have a definition given to us by Sherry Stridoff, who is a noted author on the topics of marriage and relationship today. Now, you've all read her books, right? I haven't either. But I did find her definition of marriage. And it goes like this, a commonly accepted and encompassing definition of marriage is the following, a formal union and social and legal contract between two individuals that unites their lives legally, economically, and emotionally. The contractual marriage agreement usually implies that the couple has legal obligations to each other throughout their lives or until they decide to divorce. That's a recent definition of marriage. This is only a few years old that she wrote this. And she's an expert. She's an expert. Marriage is just a legal contract between two individuals. And it usually means they stay together till the rest of their life or until they decide to divorce when they decide that their own personal happiness is not being satisfied with the one that they married. Notice the focus is on themselves instead of what God desires for there to be in marriage. Society says if you're not happy or feeling satisfied by your mate, you may divorce them and find another. Your happiness is what's most important. Oh yeah, I would say that the devil has a foothold in our marriages today. But we need to keep the devil out of our marriages. Why do we need to do this? Because <clears throat> the devil has used dastardly tactics to thwart marriages. He really has. When you consider some of the things that, that marriages have to go through, you look at things like selfishness, the me, myself, and I before us kind of theory that goes on in, in many homes today. Whether it's on the part of the husband or the part of the wife, they're taking their wants and wishes and desires and putting them over the needs of their marriage. Nothing good is going to come of a marriage where there is selfishness. Holding grudges, resurrecting past offenses, these don't do any good within the marriage because it only breeds strife and anger. Refusing to forgive, bearing false witness, <coughs> mistrust or distrust, abuses, infidelity, backbiting, and the list could go on. <clears throat> All of these things and, and many others that we haven't even considered this morning are in the marriages of people that you know, that I know, 
hopefully it's not named in, in our marriages, but <coughs> we certainly are aware of those that have them. <coughs> My apologies. The goal of the devil <coughs> when it comes to marriage is to convince us that marriage is nothing more than two individuals <coughs> cohabitating in the same place instead of becoming <coughs> one flesh as God designed for them to be. <coughs> we'll get this worked out. <coughs> you might be here till this afternoon just because I can't talk. <coughs> When marriages have problems, I say when because it's not a question of if there's going to be issues with our marriages, but when that happens, we need to work to resolve problems within our marriages. Probably one of the biggest issues that, that we could look at are those that <clears throat> continue in marriages without ever trying to solve the problems that are there. And when we do that, we're only asking for more problems to com compound themselves on the problems that we already have. But the best way to approach this idea of reconciliation when it comes to that of a marriage is the husband plus the wife and <clears throat> one man who brings another a glass of water. <clears throat> Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Reconciliation in a marriage is best done between one husband, one wife, and one trusted mediator. And that's it. And everybody else needs to stay, stay out. <clears throat> not be involved because it's not your marriage. It's their marriage. And it's between them and it's between God in order to get those things resolved. But why should we remove the devil from our marriages? Let's look at this just for <clears throat> a moment. Because that's all I'll be able to last. The church is based off the marriage relationship. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 22 going down through the rest of the chapter, which is verse 33, you have this discussion of how husbands and wives are supposed to treat one another within the marriage. Now, we as preachers uh, get up here and we talk about the wives' obligation to the husbands, and then we gloss over the husbands' relationship to the wives. No, we don't really do that. It's just to get a smile on your faces. That's the only reason. But notice the end of Hebrews or Ephesians chapter 5. There at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, you look at verses 31 or for, uh, 32 and 33. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, <coughs> let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife that she reverence. Her husband. The inspired writer there talks about 
obedience, about love, about sacrifices that are supposed to take place, mostly from the man toward his wife. The sacrifice of love that is going to make sure that she is taken care of the way that Christ did the church. We need to fix our marriages and we need to keep the devil out of our marriages because the church is patterned after the oldest institution known to man and that is marriage. And that was not done by accident. Many of the same rules, principles that apply in marriage are also found in the church. That's exactly what Paul is getting at by these verses here in Ephesians chapter 5. And please read them for yourself and and study them to get a better understanding of that relationship between not only the husband and the wife, but Jesus and his church. And we'll move on. Secondly, we need to keep the devil out of our families. The devil would love to take control of our families and have them focusing on themselves and and not building one another up. But the family unit, as God has designed it, is the single greatest asset that the local congregation has. I want you to notice a quote by the late Joe Gilmore, which you probably don't know, Some of you may, but he was a preacher uh, many, many years ago. I had the privilege to meet him as a, a, a young boy and hear him preach. And he said this concerning the family. There is not any influence on this earth more powerful for good than a Christian home. Home building is one of the greatest works people can engage in. You want to have strong and healthy congregations. It starts with strong and healthy homes of people that are in those congregations. That's how congregations get stronger. Yes, there's a lot of individual Bible study. There's a lot of individual uh, desires to grow as, as Christians. We all must have that desire. But if we want our congregations to grow, it's because we have good growing families that are in there. We're not just talking about the number of people that are in those families. The family trying to follow God is recognized and commended by God. Notice Genesis chapter 18 and in verse 19, Jesus or the the Holy Spirit had this to say concerning Abraham. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Question. How many children did Abraham have when God made this statement? None. Genesis chapter 18 is when Abraham and Sarah are in the plains and they receive three visitors. One of them we believe to be the pre-incarnate Christ 
<coughs> and the two angels that he sends to Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a discussion between this pre-incarnate Christ and those that are with him. Do I keep from Abraham these things that I know? And then he tells him this. For I know that he will command his children and his household after him. There is great commendation to those households that follow after God. And we can read of that in Scripture. It is the family unit that is the preferred method for teaching God's law. Notice with me, if you will, Deuteronomy, uh, beginning in chapter 6. <clears throat> There's a couple of passages here in this chapter we're going to look at. Beginning in verse 6, it says that these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thine children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest in the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware to thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give thee the great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. And he goes on to talk about what they're going to receive. And then you drop down to verse 20. It says, And when thy son asketh thee in the time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say to thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all the household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which we swear which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. See, God gave us a pattern of how spiritual information of how his will is supposed to be passed down from one generation to the next and it is to stay within the family the fathers are supposed to teach the children who are supposed to teach their children who are supposed to teach their children so on and so forth it is counted unto us as righteousness verse 25 says when we do those things and it worked that way for the children of God when they did those things, uh, when they were following after that way. One passage from the New Testament, Second Peter or Second Timothy, chapter one. Second Timothy, chapter one. Paul is writing there to Timothy. <clears throat> On a couple of occasions, he gives 
credit to those who had an influence on Timothy's life. Notice verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that is in thee also. Skip on over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy had those that were in his family that made sure he knew what the scriptures said. And he was of a mindset to take those things into his heart. And to pattern his life after them. If responsible parties in the family unit. And by that I mean fathers and mothers. If they're not willing to pass along godly principles to their children. Rest assured that the devil will pass along his. If we as parents decide that we're too busy looking out for ourselves to do the job that God has required for us to do for our children, Satan will gladly hold up his hand and say, let me take over. And sadly, there are many families who have abdicated the training of their children to the devil and his influences. There's distractions that pose great threats to keeping the devil out of our families. You know, we have warnings against such distractions. James chapter 1 and verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. One who's trying to mind the things of God and mind the things of the world at the same time. Jesus would put it this way in Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 24 that no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or God and worldliness. But we have the advantage of social media today, right? Whoever thought social media would be good really should have thought again. Because social media has become a major focus not only of our younger generation, but a major focus of those who would like to indoctrinate them and those who would like to get them to not follow after God anymore. It's done through various ways. But social media has become somewhat of a blight on our society. Can it be used correctly? Yes. Can it be used for good? Absolutely. Is it often done that way by the majority of people? No, not really. Even among those that are in the church. Those that get caught up in what we, main, what we may call mainstream media. You know, we, we deal with elections on a regular basis in this country. 
right? Every couple of years, there's somebody getting elected to something. But if we're focused and we're caught up in uh, positions of the mainstream media, then we can increase the possibility that we're taking our eyes off the goal of leading our families away from the devil. And we can allow ourselves to succumb to what the devil would like for us to succumb to, no matter what party you say you're affiliated with or who you pay attention to on the TV or radio. It really doesn't matter. But if we're focusing on those things, we're not focusing where God wants us to focus, and that's in keeping the devil out of our homes. Is it good to stay informed? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Because through information, we can better protect our families. But we need to make sure that the, the getting of all of that information does not take over our lives. The quote from another uh, preacher by the name of uh, <clears throat> Earl West says, David once said, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. God is the architect of the Christian family, and he is indeed the founder of the church. Many a strong church owes its power to the combination of Christian homes that constitute its membership. Wherever there are good homes within a good church, that church is a power for God in a community. And that's what we want out of this congregation, is it, is it not? We want to be a force for good in our local, in our local area, Oak Grove, outside the Kansas City area, so on and so forth, this area that we're in. We'll only be that way if we keep the devil out of our homes. Thirdly and finally, we need to get the devil out of our congregations. From the beginning, the goal of the devil has always been to stop the church from existing. And we know this through various interactions. First of all, uh, going all the way back to the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, the interactions that that Satan had with Eve there, Genesis chapter 3, when he said, Thou shalt not surely die. When Eve said that they would die if they were to touch the tree that God had told them not to touch. At that time, Satan was messing, attempting to mess with God's plan for salvation. And it wasn't going to work out, but that was his plan. We could look at the numerous attempts that, that uh, Satan tried to sideline the Jews, if you will, the, the Israelites, in, in all of their wanderings, in all of their time during the Old Testament period, to make sure that God could not bring about Jesus through a pure lineage. Yet that didn't work. And then to make sure that God was not able to fulfill his promises, which was not going to happen, specifically the one where Jesus said he was going to establish his church. And the gates of Hades would not prevail against it, and it did not. But since the coming of the church was not able to be stopped, <coughs> Satan now seeks to destroy the kingdom from within. <coughs> from within. We could talk about all the outside forces that, that would potentially persecute the church. That's not really the focus that we're looking for, that, that which comes from government officials brought on by 
those who believe in science that tries to convince us that the Bible is not inspired, that what we read in the Bible concerning how the world got here is not how the world got here. No, those are outside forces. But we have those that are forces that are from within. Romans chapter 1 and verse 30 talks about those that would, are, are backbiters. They're right next to those that are haters of God in this particular list. There in Romans chapter 1 and verse 30. We don't want to be those that are haters of God, do we not? I don't think there's anyone in this room that wants to be labeled a hater of God. Let's not do those things that would cause us to be a hater of God and be a backbiter among our fellow Christians in the congregations that we serve. We need to be those that are building one another up. There's fear that causes those that are within the church to persecute those that are also in the church. The fear of persecution, not only for standing with God and against friends. Maybe the fear of rejection by individuals who would consider them friends or brethren. Fear of failure uh, after teaching the truth to many. That person could still fall away. Paul uses himself as an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and in verse 27. Woe unto me that if I teach all these things and yet I myself should become a castaway. We need to be mindful of fear. Maybe it's thinking the worst about everyone and everything. It is true that some people, maybe many people, will let us down throughout our lifetime. However, we're still called to be the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. No matter who is standing with us, no matter who is standing opposed to us, we as individuals, as Christians, are to be the light of the world. No matter what. We are still supposed to look into the world and see souls, not a helpless nation, but see souls in need of a Savior. What about keeping the gospel to ourselves? Now this one is where the devil can make some inroads into our congregations. If we're keeping the gospel to ourselves, then we're not doing as what God would have us to do in sharing it with others. Notice what Jesus would say about the Great Commission, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. More literally, we could say it like this. As you are going about through all the world. You see, all of us are not going to go everywhere all around the globe throughout our lifetime. Or maybe we're not even going to leave the United States at all in our lifetime. But we are going throughout the world every day of our life. As you are going through the world, preach the gospel. Share it with those that you come in contact with. Because that's how we're going to keep the devil out of our congregations. You may be one here this morning, a member of the body of Christ. But you've allowed the devil back into your life. Whether it's in your marriage, 
your family, or maybe through you, the devil is taking a look at the congregation that you're in, saying, maybe I can get in there and using you as the way in. It's time to shore up our defenses against the devil. and It's time to turn back to God to make sure we're doing things his way. Maybe you're one who's not a member of the body of Christ. This morning we're looking at how to protect ourselves against the influence of the devil. But if you're outside the body of Christ, he's already got you where he wants you. And that's outside the church. That's outside the kingdom of God. That's outside where all of the blessings of God cannot reach. Don't you want to be in the church? Don't you want to be where the blessings of God are found? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Having heard the word, are you willing to believe it? Are you willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith in Christ and be baptized to have your sins forgiven? And be a part of the kingdom that is going to last forever. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44. If we can assist you in any way, please come as together we stand and we sing.